0: of the Daily Records, Off the Record podcast with me, David McCarthy and Keith Jackson as we speak to some of the biggest names past and present to have graced Scottish football through the years and try to bring you the stories behind their stories. Today we welcome a man who played 28 times for Scotland and represented us at the Euro 92 championships in Sweden. A winger who from humble beginnings at Clyde went on to have a great career and became a fan's favourite down south with Chelsea and Everton before returning north to play for Kilmarnock and then Motherwell, where he also became their chief executive. But there's always more to this man than just being a footballer. In fact, his second book is called The Accidental Footballer, and a third is out shortly. Now a co-commentator working for Five Live, and a DJ when he feels like it. Our guest continues to be just a little bit different. Welcome to the show, Pat Nevin. Hi, Pat.
1: Thank you for that. That's an introduction and a half that'll do. My favourite bit, actually, was... DJ when he feels like it. That's exactly right. By the way, so
0: I was looking at Twitter this week and I saw that you were posting a couple of things. So you were doing a doing
1: a set. Is that what you young ones call it? Doing a set this week? <laughs> uh, just playing some tunes. Uh, no, I was. It was one of them weekends where I kind of originally had agreed to go down. I was doing the Chelsea game against Man City, and then I thought, well, it'd be easy. Somebody asked me to DJ. Well, I'm down there anyway. And then I got the five live kids, on Forest versus Arsenal. I'm thinking, I've made a mess of this now. There's too many things on. I was like wrecked. Uh, but you don't like letting people down. So somehow I managed it. Um, but it was, no, it was great fun. The DJing is great. I mean, I, I've, I've always done it. And I always kind of kept it secret. But then Twitter blew that out of the water. You can't keep any secret since, since Twitter started. Uh, I think it was one week uh, I was doing a festival down south. We uh, had a number of Scottish fans, and Sebastian, et cetera. And uh, it was a great night, a great uh, set, as it was. And uh, the next day, it just went mad. I thought, yeah. what the hell happened? And that was just when Twitter really hit. So, uh, you know, I've always done it, but it's kind of a wee bit more out there now.
0: Were you also doing it when uh, you were actually playing, like when you were at Chelsea and Everton and stuff like that? Were you were you DJing on the side as well?
1: Yeah, no, again, just but so many other things that, you know, You do. It wasn't a profession I ever did. You know, it just happened to be one of the things. I was writing for a lot of different people. I had a lot of different interests, as you know. And uh, so with all those things going on, people tend to kind of home in one thing at a time. So one week I'm on indie knowledge. Next week I'm on art knowledge or snob. (laughs) Take (laughs) your pick which one you want to go for there. Or, you know, whatever one it is. Or, hey, you're a ballet nut. It doesn't matter. You just get lots of different interests.
2: It's funny, Pat, because last week we had uh, John Hughes on the show, mm-hmm. and it's you know talk about polar opposites in terms of Yogi was talking about he's losing his his elder brother uh, to the the, the heroin mm-hmm. epidemic back in the eighties, and and then football became what he called his, his safe haven. He totally immersed himself in football, with his parents pushing him that way to to keep him from going in a different path, but you. You seemed, whereas Yogi absolutely needed football to survive, you kind of seem as if you could have taken or leaving it at any point. That's a brilliant
1: question, Keith. Um, it sounds like you read the first book. <laughs> the, first, the second <laughs> one's actually, you kind know, of the, the more recent one, it's out in a couple of weeks. It kind of deals with that in, in quite a lot of detail because you're right. It wasn't that I could take it or leave it. I loved playing. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't stop playing. I didn't care if it was in front of, you know, 100,000 or just with my mates in a five-a-side. I didn't care. Mm. I just liked doing it. You, know, like you just happened to be
2: very good at it. <laughs> I was all right
1: for a while. I kind of worked hard at it, kind of. Uh, but you, you're right. It was, uh, to my see, without going too deep in it, in, in actual fact, I was a bit scared of getting too dependent on it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, you know, so many people get into it. Now, I know you both played a bit, Keith. I know you're a damn good player yourself and you, when you're desperate but, enough, by the way Pat Let me <laughs> see you.
0: that's getting edited
1: out we'll never hear the end of that <laughs> sadly I've seen him playing he's alright so um, but the, the thing about it is like if you if you go really into it um, a million things can stop it you know injury bad luck whatever Some other like guy happened to be better in your position at that time mm-hmm. just when you need the break and I never trusted it you know so I mm-hmm. would never trust it to be that into it in case you know it failed So it's a a brilliant question. I've wrestled with that question a lot when I was a kid. and thought about it a lot afterwards as well. But in reality, I felt better being outside it, thinking, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. I just want to go in and enjoy, not go in and feel panicked and pressured by football. Go in and enjoy it, have a bit of fun, go out and do my other things and do that Mm -hmm. every game. And it kind of helped me. And I think think that helps creativity when you're kind of relaxed. I mean, Mm -hmm. yourself, if you're writing a piece, See the ones that come when you don't even think about it. Yeah. it See the ones that come when you're you're up against the wall and you're under pressure and they're all right, they're great. But the really good stuff comes when you're not under pressure, you're enjoying it, and it just flows. You're yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. So how did that then um manifest itself in you when Celtic told you at 16 that you were too wee and like it wasn't going to happen at Celtic? So, you know,
1: how did you react to that? How did the family react to that? Well, not only didn't think it was happening to Celtic, they said it won't happen anywhere, mate. <laughs> which was, in a, but in a kind way, and a kind of you're a clever lad, yeah. go try and do something else. Um, which had, was in my intention anyway. I had they offer me a contract when I was 16. I wouldn't have taken it because I wanted to do the degree, um, and I thought that was a more sensible path. Um, my dad had trained me yeah, every day just away from our whole young life. You're yeah, very stoical, but but we come from a Celtic family, you know, and we're all. Celtic mad but the weird thing I was an S form for four years I played for the boys club for them all them years as well I, I didn't actually think I'd, I'd be a Celtic player or a professional footballer I know it's kind of the odd weird like, I hate using that word dichotomy because I wish I could find a better word for it but it is it's two things that are kind of, kind of different but it's the same and you're, you kind of I loved playing but never thought I would be a pro footballer you know, secretly my dad did it didn't he tell me, but secretly he thought, and he must have been very disappointed at the time. But hey, wait a minute, we're for Easter House, we don't say things like that so kind of manly. Or have you been released? Mm-hmm. Aye, fair enough, move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. else. So it wasn't all the viol- 10,000 tiny violins in the background, mm-hmm. it was more a kind of hey, oh, okay, son, go and get your scarf and go and watch Celtic next week. That's, that was the action.
2: And yet, yeah, there's, there's a strange thing that separates you right from the outset then, Pat, because I know plenty of kids in that situation. Absolutely devastating. devastated. If, if, you know, that's the dream, that's the club they support, that's the only thing they want to do with their life, and it's taken away like that, that's devastating for most kids. So that means that right from the outset, you were in a different sort of a little world from <laughs> from just about everybody else that you were surrounded by.
1: Yeah, but I thought I was a sensible one. I thought they were all <laughs> because I knew that then the numbers were small. one in a hundred tries, if that gets through, I mean, maybe just be logical, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I probably won't get there. So I kinda got that. And you're right, I I wasn't devastated. I had a couple of things in, you know, helping me a wee bit. I had older brothers and sisters who'd all gone on to higher education, who all had, my mother, my two older brothers were maybe good enough to make it as well. You Mm -hmm. know, so that's not just saying that. Everybody said, hey, my brother, honestly, but honestly, they were. Michael was a regular good player. I remember, I played one game at Celtic Park once uh, for a Glasgow Select team, uh, and it was he was you know he was the best player in the park, you know, mm-hmm. and he played against Rose. Mm-hmm. And um, my older brother Tommy, he, he he weirdly and quietly, he was very close to being signed by Clyde, and mm-hmm. he him, And they took some other guy. I mean, my Tom my brother Tommy was left half at the same, left midfield. For those kids listening. <coughs> Um and um but there was some other guy playing left midfield in front of him. And I mean, God knows whatever happened to Steve Archibald, but you know
3: mm. they chose that nice
1: <laughs> Ended up getting done by a guy who played for Barcelona in the end. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, you, you of course, um you know, you finally signed for Clyde, you you went to Clyde, I think Craig Brown was the manager, was that right? Um uh, what were your early memories of shawfield and Craig then? Because you would have dealt with Craig, obviously, at international level as well, but in those days?
1: Uh, yeah, well, the first time I met him was, uh, we played, I was playing for a boys club, Gartcosh United, and we were just having a bounce game against, we thought, Clyde Reserves, and me and my mate had a wee laugh, and said, wait, we'll have a bet who can score the best goal, because I've done one <laughs> at AC Dribble goals, right? And uh, having a laugh as we walked off, because I was a student at that time, I was first year degree, and uh, this guy came up to me and said, uh, do you want to sign for us? I didn't know who he was. And I went, uh, no, I'm not really into it. Um, I'm doing a degree. And then he said, well, we can pay you 30 quid a week. We are part-time. You can carry on your degree. 30 quid a week. Where's the pen? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> what a tarp. You know? <laughs> I'm yours for 30 quid. And the reason <laughs> being, the absolute reason being, I you know, I, I could buy loads of records and go to loads yeah. of gigs for 30 quid. And, uh, yeah. But I didn't have to give up the studying. But the thing about Craig is it got me right away, because we know Craig's got a background in lecturing, so he'd been, so he knew that weirdos like me were around and could be molded like, and he kind of wasn't kind of spooked by my kind of slightly odd attitude. Um, in fact, he, he seemed to quite like it. Um, the the one thing, how did I feel about it? I was fuming after about three weeks because I just wanted to play, but it stumped me on the bench. You know, and I was like geese again <laughs> what I play. and I was human and it felt like forever when I look back it was only a month or two but I was mm-hmm. like let me on the pitch kind of thing and it was we wee uh, physio you you both will know me uh, Winker Watson mm-hmm. he was, it was a Scotland physio too years later and he was Craig would turn right to you e. and go is he ready yet and we'd jump and go no and I'm going what <laughs> and they're just to be honest, by the time I was unleashed, I was like whew, you, really you? you know, you couldn't hold me back. And uh, when they let me on, I, I didn't I didn't go to the team again and scored a whole bunch of goals early on. And that that was me. I was only doing it again for the love of it. And I absolutely was doing it for the love of it. But you lot kept on making making my name a little bit and writing about me. And I'm going, well, can we not keep this quiet? You know, and <laughs> it did feel that way. I honestly felt that way. I'd rather keep it quiet, but there was, it was completely, I mean, I, I won the uh, the league's player of the season that season, and I got a young player of the year thing, and then get dragged into the Scotland Youth Squad, and I'm thinking, this is getting a bit difficult, let's keep this quiet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually
0: read, I read a, a piece that you had done in which uh, you said with that particular tournament, that Euro Under-18 tournament you went to, which, uh, Think you scored a goal in the final. I think you were named player of the tournament, uh, and that became rather awkward because you had a girlfriend who you hadn't even told that you were going.
1: Exactly. Um, well, it sounded a good idea at the time, you know. We under eighteen team going abroad. You know, nothing's going to happen. Bleeding well won it. You know? And, you, and I'd, I'd particularly, Chick check young was writing stuff about, and some some great lads for the record as well. Or you know, it was it was. Adams, Jack Adams. Jack Adams. Adams yeah. Jack was bring some amazing stuff back. Like mm-hmm. and when I come back and get the paper out going, Explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, you know. Um, but it was it was kind of a kind of weird, kind of fun, joyous life because I was having a great time as a student as well. Great where, did tell, where, where did you tell her like, you were going, Pat? No, but I was going to play a wee bit of football somewhere and uh, I was studying because I I degree um exam the day after the final. So it didn't matter if I studied in the, the college library or studied in the hotel in Finland mm-hmm. before playing Marco van Basten, you know, <laughs> same thing. Um, uh, but, you know, I, 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 in, a, in a serious way, I, a, I was very earnest then. You, you, you've you known me for a while, you two, right? I was a wee bit too earnest, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Annoyingly so, and I kind of wanted to keep the two things apart, you know. I wanted mm-hmm. to like me for who I was, not what I did. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's kind of held me in good stead over the years because if you love for what you do, it finishes one day. And yeah. it's, and I found that out years and years later after a whole career, um, PFA chairman down in England, you, you name it. And then you look at the players three, four, five years after the career, and I, I try to sort of studied for that in the early days when the money's gone the fame's gone mm. partners are sometimes gone because mm-hmm. it's not the same person they married i never wanted to be that and i've been he looks around to make sure his wife's not here um you know, we've been married <laughs> for well over 30 years now and it's because we liked each other who for who we were i mm-hmm. think not because of what i did
2: i mean this all, this all keeps coming back to the same thing and it, it, it seems to me as if a determination not to be defined by football. Absolutely. That that seems to be your overarching sort of a life message.
1: But but not in a way that I don't like football or mm-hmm. don't admire footballers. And that, that's again that's a difficult bit of it. I have to say and you'll know it yourself. You'll have seen it yourself. I am sitting there reading Dostoevsky in a playing going yeah. to a Scotland game, right? Who do <laughs> you <I'm>, play for? <laughs> exactly <laughs> I should have said Camu and I could have whipped back. Um, <laughs> but in reality, you know, I, and you think, oh, you think you're above us. And I always thought, no, we're not like that. It's, it's particularly Glasgow people, but, you know, you kind of the working class Scots. We've always been autodidacts. We've always been people who bettered ourselves, mm-hmm. And it's not embarrassed about.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I just get really annoyed when people say, oh, you think you're a wee bit better. No, that's what we as a culture have always done. Scots are like that. That's yeah. right. Get ourselves. And I thought it was a, an anti-snobbery that did that. But it does isn't that I wanted to be defined by, I didn't want to be defined by football, but then I didn't really particularly want to be defined by anything else. Yeah, Just yeah. An, an all right bloke. That was it. So, so see when you,
0: um, you know, you obviously were having the time of your life, you were playing football part-time, you were studying, you were do, doing what you do. The dynamic must have changed slightly when Chelsea came in. Spend ninety five thousand pounds on you, take you down there into full time football, living in London. Um, you know, did, how different was that from the life that you were leading in Glasgow?
1: I was skin in London. <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> Better off in Glasgow as a student, I promise you. Right. It was like one hundred and eighty quid a week at Chelsea. Um, when you think about Chelsea, you know. Now I'm playing the year, one hundred and eighty quid a week. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my, my rent was 100 quid tax and all that was 60 quid i had 20 quid left at the end of the week you know so it was a nightmare right at the start and but i got into the team really quite quick i was lucky the manager liked us and i got in the team amazingly uh, quickly and when i've in the team win bonuses and then party time it was great after that and it was a real joy after that so the, the first bit was a wee bit tough but then you know, you come from where we come from, or where I come from, anyway. Yeah, was tough. Used to It's okay. Fine. You can go. We can deal with it. Um, but when I did get into the first team after that, you know, I I do like London, and I've always loved London, and I like it still to this day. Um, because of the, the different interests that are down there, and the gigs you can go in, whatever. I mean, I work in London probably once a week still. And I love going down because there's, there's the work's one thing, but there's always some other stuff to do when you're down there. Uh, so I love that. But the best thing is, you know, hands up now and a shout out to Charlie Nicholas. Thank you, Charlie, because Charlie went down the same week and signed for Arsenal. Yeah. Okay. With all this champagne, Charlie, he's okay. going big shot. Sure he's going to make all the headlines. He took everything. Nobody noticed me. I had no idea 95 grand meant nothing. It like was a different class to have absolutely no pressure. And there was no pressure. And that's another thing that, that kind of helped me, that I just went down there quietly and was able to just go go and do my own thing. And I was lucky because Chelsea bought five players that week, and uh, all five of them uh, immediately. The goalkeeper they bought, Eddie Nesviki, was... He went in, well, to become an inter- Welsh international but it was brilliant and, and had it not been for Neville Southnall he would have had 100 caps for you know, weeks. Joe McLaughlin who we know played huge yeah. amounts of times for Chelsea um, myself Kerry Dixon became the record goal scorer and in every single one of us another one was Nigel Spankman who went on to play for Liverpool and somebody else who I can't remember <laughs> 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 so five of us all turned up for the grand total of less than half a million quid, which even yeah. then was a lot of money. And all five of us became mainstays right away. And yeah. we won the league that season. And by the end of that season, I'm thinking, so play with Clyde, win the league, player of the year, uh, go down south, win the league, get promotion, player of the year.
3: Mm-hmm. Football's really
1: easy, honestly. It's easy, that's Did you play with Stevie Clark at Chelsea? Yeah, so Stevie came down about a year and a half, two years later. Nice. And Stevie and I had a, an absolutely brilliant relationship. Um,
0: but You'd have played in front of him, wouldn't you? Obviously, he would be the right back, and you.
1: Yeah, it's funny you now because it's one of my my favourite things in the modern football is um, kind of having a laugh at sort of modern kind of use of language. You know, to using the jargon. You know, when people talk about, oh, he's underlapping now, and I'm going, yeah. <laughs> Clarky and I worked on that. We did it all the time. Yeah. Clarky Clark was fantastic at that. He was Clarky. The thing about Stevie Clark, um, apart from being a superb super player, um, I thought he got a rough team in Scotland. Yeah. I remember back, it was a game against the Dutch we were playing, and I was on bench that day and I came on for the last few minutes. But Clarky was out in his own and he was marking Rude Hoolett, but Big Rude was having one of them days, you know. No, now he marked Clarky. And as, as I remember, I don't know if my my, my memory's playing tricks, I don't think Clarky got another game after that. And I felt. I felt it was really unfair. A, Rudd could do that to anybody. Yeah. And he was at his best because he was the best in the world for a while. But the other thing is see, you're having that sort of player. See, your white guy, get, get in front of him, help him. So that's mm-hmm. what I do sometimes. Clarky would help me, I would help him. But what a player. Um, and probably, you know, he's, now, he's not underrated by us now, right? As a manager, we don't underrate him. But he was massively underrated for years, wasn't he? Yeah, Yeah, yeah he's exactly the same he'd play right back left back center back center midfield brilliant in them all absolutely superb in them all but because he was you know understated and calm and not selling himself he was so taken for granted see when i play him, i picked my best 11 that i played for he is always in it absolutely 100 yeah. always in it and it's not because he's my mate it's because he's a, damn good player, he was an unbelievably mm-hmm. good player, so yes, I sound quite animated when I'm talking about him, because even though you look at the, the list of great Chelsea players of who played the most games, he's right up there Yeah, in history, mm-hmm. I don't mean Premier League, I mean in history and he went through, if you look at who he started playing and who was playing by the time he finished with Chelsea, he, mm-hmm. he went through the whole change, so yeah. uh, top, top guy, top, top player, um, and he was really proud really to work with. It was a wee period at uh, Chelsea where it looked like both him and I would get signed. We would, Celtic were interested in buying both us at the same time, and both is at uh, time that was our team. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a very interesting thing because um, it was a wee while afterwards, but it would have been a crossover. You'd have had Boyd and Collins on one side, maybe, and myself mm-hmm. and Clark on the other, which would have been all right, you know. I <laughs> think <laughs>
0: That
1: yeah, was that then kind of mid-80s so you're talking 85 right about then yeah that and a wee bit later so it might right. be a bit crossover with those two teams because the hat was at uh, paulman in midfield etc then mm-hmm. later J C Don john collins so it was yeah. it, it, crossover periods where someone would have wouldn't have met but you mm-hmm. know it was, it was kind of there, kind of another life it could have went a different direction and then yeah. i mean celtic came in for me four times in my career mm-hmm. All the way through my career. And the other thing just to tell you how to go back, stop talking about me, talk about Clarkie. Um I tried to uh, I was talking to Hibernian years a few years back and Clarkie was out at the game and I said look you should get him as a manager and I already yeah. meeting for him. And then it just didn't it didn't take him. So I thought you're mad
2: a couple of years later Kelly did. And that's that's what I was going to say what you said about underselling himself. I mean the fact that a guy as clearly managerially talented as, as Stevie is, ended up having to take that step. I don't think in his career path he would have envisaged himself going to be command manager, but he kinda it was a job that he ended up having to take. And it was only then, when he when he's in front on, on our own doorstep, that the world actually starts paying attention. This guy's actually quite good. You know, but but it's incredible that, that there was a step that he had to take in order to get to, to where he is now. I wonder if he would he would They've said talk about that being
1: the real narrative because the way I saw it, I was I'd nearly brought him in when I was a motherbole chief exec. Mm-hmm. I was really keen to get him, you know. And um, I had a choice between when the Billy Davis left. Um, sorry, when I get rid of Billy Davis, <laughs> 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 like it is. Um, when Billy was gone, and by the way, got a lot of time for Billy, did a great job, and worked hard there. But um, I had like Eric Black and Tom Burns. And stevie clark people that i wanted to get in mm-hmm. and stevie Clark would have probably been probably been top of the list but i couldn't have got my way because the jobs he had at chelsea then the job he had at newcastle and liverpool mm-hmm. unbelievable jobs and i knew how good he was and mm-hmm. absolutely first choice would have been for me um but i don't know if clarky really thought about that when mm-hmm. he went to he had a team at west ham with john Zola, and i think i had to chat him then and he said i i do want to be a number one i'm going to have to try this and it wasn't a desperate career path and i'm going to get to the top it was more of a i might as well have a better go at this you know I'm, not, I'm okay at this this side of it but he knew the personality wise that you you know that it wouldn't be one of the big wow look at me. Mm-hmm. he did a good job when he went to west brom um but it was a period of time where because the managers were getting sacked, i think Clark had been hes removed with the managers who get sacked because he was the assistant. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, he was still highly rated within, within those clubs. So, excuse me, it was a weird, weird, weird period that he went through. When I talked to him about the Hibs thing, he went, Yeah, all right. And I said, Well, you're not interested. He goes, Well, yeah, I would be very interested if I want to get back in it. But I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was of an age, I think of his age he was at that time when he took over commander. He's an age where. He, Probably didn't any work with the jobs he'd done before. So I think the Kelly one was just a I'll have a go, you know. (laughs) But he won't have a go in a light-hearted way when he gets there. Mm -hmm. Because you know what he's like.
3: Yeah.
1: But no surprise he's done so well with Scott. And I was very, very forthright. The Rocky Wee passed at the start, and I'm shouting out really loud, it's not because he's my mate. I'm telling you, lads, stick with him. Really Mm -hmm. stick with him because he's, he's pretty special. The one thing that has surprised me through all the career, he's done great with us with Scotland, but what a job that was with Kelly. I mean, Jesus.
2: <laughs> It's unbelievable. Absolutely. But he kind of struggles a little bit, I think, with the spotlight. He doesn't like the attention, does he? That, that's that's part. And I, I guess with Stevie Clark, that's something where he's almost kind of had to take it on. He wants to be Scotland manager. I'm just going to have to put up with all this other stuff. I really don't like, you know. I can't really be bothered going into a press conference and seeing Keith Jackson and getting questions. It it it, it just doesn't like it, does it? It just he hates the attention. Um, he's
1: wary of it, and yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. You can tell he's wary of it. There was a great moment. Um, you know, the game. see when we beat Ukraine. Well, mm-hmm. where, where was the game play? Was in Poland. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I don't no, know. Right. If you were over there for that, right? But I was doing it. I was covering it and doing the five live we took it and honestly i'm really trying to rain it and at the end, <laughs> uh, just gone mad because it was a brilliant brilliant night but i was so happy for clarky and afterwards it was like the old days there was no press conference it was just a bunch of the journalists oh, all around clarky at the end down the bought me a stairwell yeah and then were all, and you know you've been there a million times and everyone's trying to get a quote and there's a camera in there and everything and i'm walking down the stairs above it and as I'm walking down, I'm looking at him and he's caught my eye and we looked at each other and went, yes. But he's trying to keep a calm like this. You <laughs> so know, the sensible, sensible, sensible stuff. And he's done it. And I've kind of walked down the stairs and I thought, oh, I'll, wait for, I'll wait a minute for him. And then he stopped. <laughs> so and he says, am I finished? Yeah, yeah. So the journalist went, fine. Clarky's usual Clarky face, walks away. We've got the
3: thing. yeah. <laughs> 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 the two kids. <laughs> it's
1: right there! It's there. He's one yeah. of us. He's a fan. He's one of us. But he kind of has to put that front. I think yeah. it was a funny moment for a lot of the journalists that were standing there, going, "Well, he didn't know Pat was that weird." <laughs> it's not that, yeah. I am um, not a Scotland fan, but Clarky, that's him as well. Mm-hmm. See yeah. it on the bench, can you? you? Can see it on the bench when we score, can you? Yeah.
0: It was
3: no, 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 Uh Totally.
0: Anyway, to get back to you, oh,
3: um, really you know, you really just cool.
0: said you just said there. Uh, all the journalists will be thinking that uh, you know, Pat I didn't know he was that weird, but was Weirdo not your nickname at Chelsea
1: for a while? Yeah, I'm I've, good. I've <laughs> <nicknames, but laughs> How I, did you handle that? Uh great. I'm all right with that. I call me weirdo. I'm happy with it. Um, well, the thing is, I knew the difference, so they like, they thought I was weird, and they were all normal. But I knew I was normal, and they were all weird. <laughs> so that's really comfortable. You've all got it wrong, honestly, guys. <laughs> but for for that, it actually was never really said with uh, any antagonism. Uh, it was a oh, weirdo. I don't know. There's a moment in Monty Python's uh, Life of Brian where Cleese turns out to some days he's trying to arrest him at some point and goes weirdo. and uh, <laughs> A bit like that, you know, with a kind of Cockney accent, and mm-hmm. um, it was, to be honest, it was a lovely thing that because I was such an outsider, you'd have expected me to get a bit stick, uh, a bit more stick than I did. Down at Chelsea, it was brilliant. a great bunch of lads, the vast majority of it. Um, and in actual fact, anytime anyone did try to take the mic, I would just give it back. There's this? Mm-hmm. It helps when you're from where Aye. I'm from. Sure. You're not yeah. going you're not going to sit back and take it. Hmm. So you are a wee quiet guy in the corner reading the book. But when somebody like, has got you, you're not weak you're not a wee quiet guy reading the book anymore. Yeah. You're a Glaswegian fighter who'll go right all right and have a
3: go back.
0: Well, that that leads us on to something then a kind of a more serious aspect because at that time there was obviously a an element of the Chelsea support that um, you know, was kind of aligned with National Front and all the rest of it. And I think you did stand up against that, didn't you? Um tell us a wee bit about that and about how how you handled the kind of grief, for want of a better words, that maybe followed that?
1: Well, I didn't handle it very well because it was fuming. I mean, back in the early days in Glasgow, when being a student, typical student, I was out in the marches and, you know, for the anti apartheid, all that stuff back in those days. Um, so, you know, in my family, we didn't do, and we, we weren't bigoted against anything, you know, didn't like anything from anti black, anti women, anti gay, and any sectarian stuff. You know, we were just didn't do any. Any bigotry at all against anything. So just our family, we were like that. Um, So to go down there and to see that it was just casual racism was accepted. And we didn't seem to have it as much in Scotland, but then we didn't have any or many black players at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and when they did come up, Mark Waters and some of the lads will tell you, they they had to put up with themselves. So we are not that holier than now. But to be honest, it was. It was a minority, but it was a large minority of Chelsea fans uh, in my first season when I was down there, and it just came ahead one day. and uh, I'd spoken out about it a few times, but I don't know if you remember then, but it was a different people thing. That's just society, you know, and mm. we just deal with it, you know. They're nutters, we don't like them, but move on. But I thought we should be a bit noisier and a bit louder. Um, so it was just after one game, and it's infamously Paul Cannaver or. or uh, black winger on the other side the left side i was playing the right he was getting dogs abuse that's called the winning goal against palace and then just refused to speak about the game or the goal or anything you said right disgusted with those fans even my own ones particularly mm-hmm. my own ones because i thought i'm hearing monkey chants and uh the, the stuff that were given giving paul cannibal so i'm not it's not acceptable um and it's it's lovely though because there's a whole story about i wrote about that in the, the last book the External football, it explained the whole thing um what I found upsetting was that people found it it was unusual, and I'm thinking, well, why is it unusual? Why shouldn't we speak up? If any youngster listening to this, will think, what you mean? Nobody spoke up. Yeah, no, they didn't actually, um, and it was it was a very kind of weird thing to be a 19, 20 year old in a team shouting and bawling at this thing when everyone else around the clubs should have been doing not just Chelsea, but all the clubs. Um, Anyway, they, it started then, we started beginning then. Um, Gordon Taylor got in touch, he was PFA. We started campaigns at that point in time. And as the years have gone by, the campaigns have grown and grown and grown. There were no campaigns before that. Yeah.
0: that, I think at that time, Pat i right in saying no that that Ken Bates wasn't who was obviously the, the chairman of the club, but he wasn't particularly chuffed at one of his players coming out and denouncing or decrying the actions of some of the Chelsea support.
1: Yeah, and it's quite complicated because you're thinking, wow, Ken, because I'm meeting Ken this week, by the way. Wow. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> um, and a whole bunch of the other players that played that time. Um, but why was he confused about what I was doing? Well, B, he thought, well, nobody does that like everybody else. Um, but I think he was, he was worried about me because right. these people were dangerous thugs. And mm-hmm. I used to, I just traveled by bus, you know, I traveled by tube. So I could walk into these people, and in the end, did you know? So he thought there could be a danger to his asset. Sorry, player, Sorry, player, player. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I got that as well. So there was there was a lot of things going playing into it. The thing going forward after that, I mean, I just ignored it, obviously, clearly. <laughs> you know, so I got. Yeah. Did, did Did you get threats from the national front? Yeah, yeah, got threats, but. I also got the other side. I have to be open here. I'm, I'm, I have nothing if I'm not straight and open with people. I also got a, an invitation to go and meet them and talk right. to them to try mm-hmm. and understand their position, which I did. I did go and I had a meeting with the, a number of people from the National Front just to hear their point of view, you know, and talk to them, and explain yeah. my point of view. Um, Focus through
0: that then. I mean, where, where did that happen? And were you on your own or, you know, did, did Chelsea provide
3: you with a minder or anything
1: like that? Chelsea was doing it. No, can't do that. No, I just, I met them at a cafe near Sanford Bridge down by the tube station. And uh, I thought, right, okay, I'll meet them, just talk to them. I'm doing it in daytime, a wee bit safer then. But they actually were perfectly reasonable. They, no, they weren't reasonable. They were perfectly nice about right. it and chatted and talked and explained why. And we had two things we agreed on in the end, which was interesting. We both like scar and we both like reggae. Other than that, <laughs> we didn't agree in a thing. <laughs> but what I did understand was I understood their argument a bit better, which, to be fair, I hadn't really heard before. And you know, what I felt that made was my argument stronger after that, because I knew where they were come from. Mm-hmm. So, when you argue from ignorance, it's not a good thing. So I try to, you know, be it left, right, be it you know whatever attitudes i'll go and listen to people you know i don't i'm not big on cancelling i'm about i hate this concept of cancelling so i'm about you can speak we're we're an open society i'll listen to you i won't agree with you but then i will debate with you and if i've got a better debate hopefully we'll win the day Um, Mm -hmm. and that's so that's what i did with them so they they were in no way threatened when i went there but then i knew that i was a player for their team and i was white so I, i probably wasn't under any yeah. In, in any danger um, but I was kind of happy to do that you know
2: at the time but Pat, Pat here's a, a question because obviously you've gone down there with your ethics and your principles and the way you've been brought up by your family when you went into that club you must have been aware from minute one that there's a little bit of a toxic environment around here and I'm a, I can only imagine that a guy of your principles would, would find that uncomfortable really uncomfortable right from the start I mean no, that answer the no, before you go any further. That wasn't the case then. Absolutely not the case then.
1: Apart no. from you so all about English football, really, because I was only interested in Scottish football at the time. But it wasn't that big a deal then. That the, Chelsea were second division. They were yeah. lower division. They were nothing at that time. And remember, that was just grown at that time. But as soon as I was aware of it, that was me. I'm speaking out.
3: Yeah.
1: What was the good thing? And this is the change. This is the the change. I was fuming about it, and I explained that to the club that it wasn't acceptable. It was, I don't know how long, I'm guessing here, I would say six more months, and it's in the club programme. We do not accept it here. The club are making statements about it. The union are making statements about it. We're getting behind the good fight. Um, and maybe it takes somebody from the outside to come in and say, right, do this. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing it. Um, but that time, I, my argument is, you know, has always been, People blame the clubs. It's almost always not the clubs. It's a group of people that are following the clubs that the clubs do not want. Then they they haven't wanted them. Mm -hmm. Can you remember any club that said, are we like all them fascists following us? Are we (laughs) like all them hooligans following us? They don't. They absolutely don't want it. The important thing, the imperative is that the clubs are brave enough in time, hopefully very quickly to stand up and say, not in our name. And Mm -hmm. it like that, I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely mm-hmm. fine with that. So I don't have any dislike or hatred. I and mean, if you look at Chelsea, I mean I'm sure there's still a number of right-wing people that follow, follow Chelsea and have views that I would just you know, absolutely completely despise. But just go and look at the, the programmes that they run, the anti-Semitism programmes that they run, the anti-racism stuff. The you know, the, 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 they're like all the other top clubs. They mm-hmm. stay and try and do the right things. And um, there was a recent, a while back. There was something hit. It was uh, somebody shouted something really vile at one of the players taking a, a, a corner kick down at the mm-hmm. Matthew Harding end. Something about two or three years mm-hmm. ago. They went. I, I, ph- I phoned them. I'd heard about it. They immediately were gangbusters on trying to find out who this person was to ban them for life.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What people think? Oh, they're kind of tacitly agreeing with. No, they aren't. Yeah.
2: They're, no, they. they aren't. Aren't. <laughs> They made a really big deal, wasn't it, in Paris, in the underground, when um, a group of Chelsea fans were abusing a, a black guy there. And, and I, I remember the club went out of their way to bring the guy to London, to give him the VIP. And, and I think that's all about sending out a message, isn't it, really? To, partially a message. But it's also, the message is,
1: clubs like Chelsea, this is what we need, you know, and it's a wee bit, can be a bit annoying as well. They don't want that sort of message, when in actual fact, what's the market those teams are looking at just now? Mm. It's India. It's China. It's Nigeria. It's the States. It's all over the world. That's their market. They're looking at now, right? If you start getting the business side of it now, they don't want the club to be associated with that. Yeah, That's unbelievably unthinkable. And I get it now and again. Twitter, I go, how can you follow a club that xxx? I'm thinking, well, they're not like that. The club. You've got a couple of nut- a bunch of nutters that will try and attach themselves to it. But as long as the clubs themselves are brave enough, strong enough to say, no, that's not us, not in our name, then it's absolutely fine. You can have 50% 50 of your people following you being people who I would disavow. But if the club is saying the right things, then it's okay because we will try to get rid of it.
2: It's so destroying then when you look at what happened with Vinicius Junior just a couple of nights ago. I mean, it's just it's it's horrendous that this in this day and age is is still happening after all these years after you were brave enough to, to stand up and you know, call these people
1: out. Well, by the way, don't call me brave. I hate that. <laughs> it just no, wasn't brave. I know I just, you hate that. I know, I know what you're doing. Just annoyed, right? <laughs> just, the brave people with the black lads that followed me, that's the brave people. I had to go and stand up. They were, they were in danger doing it. But you're right. You know, Vinicius Juniors one. But I mean, I do, but fortunately, my current job and the job I've had for quite a few years now, I get to travel a lot. And I was at the Inter versus AC game uh, the other week there. And there's some great things about following. Uh, the, these games are all, all around Europe but we know from going around Europe it's there it's still there isn't yeah. it? it's there in Italy it's big there in Italy it's massive in Italy the problem of racism it's big in Spain so yeah it's it's absolutely still there and it's it's grotesque that certain people within the game there have been some quotes that have come within the game in Spain you just oh, yeah. you, you, you yeah. absolute dinosaur go away you yeah. absolute dinosaur but then we're moving on we've moved a long way down that road we've still got further to go but we've moved down the right road uh that i would like us to see moving down but then how slow was fifa how slow was UEFA yeah. over the years you know to get on board with um just saying to people don't come away with that garbage during the football game it's a game of football just go and enjoy it do you know what people read all these things into it it's actually not more complicated than that <laughs> <Yeah>. no <laughs> go absolutely we'll get to enjoy it and follow your team that's why yeah. At this weird thing, my favorite supporters in the world. I've got one group of four supporters that are my favorite fans in the world, and it really annoys people, right? Because they go, Well, that's that's just not acceptable. The USA fans, right? <laughs> and you're probably annoyed now, unless you've ever been to a USA game, you probably uh-huh. don't. exactly they love their team, they follow their team. You don't hate anybody, no, <laughs> Everybody hate them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hate them, but I love yeah. them. Just
0: as but the perception people. is the perception is so ah no, there, there's no any space in football for that. That's you know we, we don't want everyone being full of love and light. We just we, you know well, it's all about I, the hate.
1: They are me. They, I am them. That's yeah, that's what <laughs> I. <am. laughs> um, so we were, I jumped off a subject we were talking about before. It was about the changes in wording and all that in the game, and I I, I was going to say about it because everyone's using these new jargony things so mm-hmm. just about to go into it and uh i love it because i i know back to where we we're talking to stevie clark you know about the you know your, uh, Under- the, your under-lap. Up and underlap and stuff right but all these phrases like you know high press and low press and mid block and all this, that stuff right mm-hmm. like none of them are new like absolutely yeah. like, false names brilliant right that's great pep fantastic amazing Go and have a look at the history of the Hungarians right in the fifties. But, but more importantly, I, I played with Andy Roxburgh under 18s in Finland. We had a false name
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> He got him, It was um, myself and Ali Dick were up front, and we, we thought we, we're not false, so we went wide on a false night. But my favourite one is, and I do tell people this one. It's quite funny. Um, uh if what's, what's the word they use when they change when you when you um transition? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, the transition, yeah. The
1: transition actually mean? It means you've given the bloody ball away
3: again. To get back and get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I can. Kind of, I'm alright with jargon because I can. You know what I'm like. I can go and jump into the jargon of arts and using and all that for a like But there's a bit of me that thinks I'll oh, give up miss Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: absolutely.
0: I. I want to take you back. Um I want to talk to you about your time at Everton as well, obviously, but. Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about in your, your time, and you did say that you you used to travel on the tube, etc. Now you and I were at a book launch for your uh, former Kilmarnock teammate Matt Riley uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you were good enough to stand up and, and tell a, a few stories. And one of them really tickled everybody in the place about the time where you were on the tube and were recognised by a Spurs fan. Um, do, you want, do, you want, do you want to take
1: a step through that? i give you the edited highlights. This one was in my, my book, The Accidental Footballer, and it's just lovely to get these stories out, but then be able to develop any fun stories and add the jokes and all the rest of it. But it's absolutely true what happened. i was um, My first season at Chelsea I had one player a year, but every Wednesday night, um you know, it was free because we weren't in European football. So I stood on the shelf at Spurs, you know, where like their version of like the jungle, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, he's playing and you're watching spurs like it's not going to happen now right they hate each other them clubs right and i didn't know i hadn't got clues. back to what you were saying keith about you must have known i had no idea mate <laughs> <laughs> like, right? i'm too busy going to meet up with john peel and go to gigs right? so um <laughs> then, so by the next season i'm at stanford i'm i'm at um, white hart lane again i'm playing now against them so we, we got a one-one draw and after the game. I thought I'm not going in the team coach back. It's all I need to do is jump in the tube. I think it was Seven Sisters, uh, Victoria Line straight down Pimlico, where I was living. God, there goes the street red there, right away. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, but I think as I got, I was halfway down the the line, two stops on or something, and this Spurs fan goes, "You're never that." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" (laughs) I've got my best accent back. "You're never, never, you're Chelsea." I'm like, "Now, Spurs man." And he's going, and he's, I've I walked looking at him, and he's a big guy, and he's. He's he's got a knife. I can see he's got a huge knife. And I'm, and he's walked my way off, and I went, oh. he goes, what? Fewer spurs, who's your favorite player? And I felt like breaking the fourth wall and going, he doesn't even know that I could guess a player I've just played against. Like, the guy's. <laughs> And he was obviously quite thick because I think oh, so I went, Oh Mickey has a mate. yeah. <laughs> He's a and I've got my bag right, and in my bag's my boots. Cause I'm going to have, I'm going to Scotland Not 21 kilos. <laughs> 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 My bag and my dirty boots are in there and I'm done. So I'm I'm, I'm basically the train stopped or evening standards up like that. Nobody's looking. So, so if I've got towards the station, I've I've the old Glasgow accent. I'm going to change the wording slightly here. Um it's kicked in. And uh, just as we stopped, the tube stops. And I'm like, what the? Is that up there? And he, in my worst, heaviest Glasgow accent. And he turned around and I smacked him. one. <laughs> my dad's a boxer. And he taught me how to box when I was younger. There's another secret. And I gave him one, right? And as he went down, I gave him a straight leg right into the knee. I, I, I probably broke his leg, right? We don't, even, we don't know how to do people, right? <laughs> and crunch. And then... Straight off down the platform. There was two policemen. I've never been so happy to see a couple of, <laughs> of the line. Um and then I bought a car the next day and felt well, like I <laughs> no, no, no more tube. no more tube at certain times. for being an idiot. Like, I shouldn't have been getting a tube. But the funny thing was, it's this it's this guy who hadn't figured out that I could guess a, a Spurs player and I'd just family. What? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that that would have validated your position as a Spurs fan if you could name just one player, right? Exactly.
1: So <laughs> anyway, so it was that was there's, there's kind of lots of stories and the nice thing about the next book that's coming out, I kind of wanted to do my Scottish version of that, so mm. I was able to do that. So, um, but that was it's nice to tell that story. And by the way, we we're talking about Mavis. Mavis's new book's so, out. Um, it's brilliant, isn't it? Well, you you would think so. Well, I'm <laughs> but yeah, I, I think
3: it's a great book. <laughs>
1: no but as anybody who's listening Mark Riley's book uh, or Mavis as we call him um, I, I read it because you read football books I read football books, and I'm not a big fan I'll be honest with
2: you,
1: I write in the genre but I'm not a fan of the genre uh, but this is brilliant, it's an absolute cracker and it's not just for Kelly fans it's um, you know the reverse ret that he's involved in as well, uh, what a job that, that guy's done, what a piece of work no, he
3: absolutely. is, it's absolutely. a lovely absolutely. Me,
0: absolute, I, mean, <laughs> I know. Absolutely. So let, let's move this on. um You were at Chelsea. um You left Chelsea. You had the choice to go to either PSG or Everton. So Paris or Liverpool. You chose Liverpool. And <laughs> the, the process
1: behind that. The end, of PSG are not the entity they are now. The, but, uh, it, now that's one thing. But um, my wife Ann- Annabelle, she said she said to me later when I. So we'd agreed to go, go to PSG um, when I was leaving. And then Everton came in at the last minute and she said to me, Why are you really going to PSG? Is it because of the football? Is it because you want to hang about in the left bank and learn French? I went, yeah. yeah,
3: the
1: latter. <laughs> she goes, Well, you're, you're only lasts a certain amount of time. And Everton at the time, they were big league. People forget about it in there, But moving yeah. from Chelsea back then was a mega step up because yeah. Everton and Liverpool were the big guns at that point in time and everyone were going to spend back right? so it was and i looked at the team and i played against them often enough they'd win the league it was my second season the third season down the south they were a top team um so it was a and i met i thought i'll go and meet up with our manager us honestly their manager i'd met him for, I, I would see less than a minute i thought yep i'll say in fact, in fact that's that's not true what happened and this is this is true I agreed to sign for PSG, and we went to some real rough place in Corfu. Annabelle and I. i was sitting on the beach, and then the guys run down from this taverna where we're staying, and yeah, you know, different times. And he goes, Mister Mister Pad, Mister Pad, there's a phone call for you. And so I had to run up this big long place called Vatos, I mean, where all the kind of scruffy Aussies held, hung out, you know, with their backpacks and their VW vans. <laughs> and so I had to run up this track and got to the phone. Was my fat mate Peter. And after he shot up about Celtic, which he always does, um, he said, um, it's Everton trying to get hold of you, Pat. They said uh, they want to sign you. And I went, Tell them I'll sign. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Cheers. He went, All right. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole discussion. The Everton Man just phoned up Peter and Peter went, Ah, he'll sign. Never manager goes, But we've not done any good negotiations. Goes, no, Pat's not like that. It's okay, he'll sign. Don't worry about it. And he's <laughs> got something wrong there. Like he was going, What's going on here? But Peter, he kind of knew what I was like. Um, Anyway, I went down and Annabelle said, yeah, why were you going to sign for PSC?" And I said, yeah, right enough. It was just to flounce about with a berry. (laughs) So I
3: better
1: better go and do the right thing. So that's why I chose uh, Ever. And to be honest, it was was interesting because they're a great team. My first game, we won 4-0. We'd just bought Tony Cotty for uh, a record fee for a British club. Um, Stuart McCall signed the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, echo Neil McDonald. Um, we had some team. um yeah. First game was just, unbelievable we beat Newcastle four going on nine nil. And I just thought, oh God, this is it. Yeah. Like, I've, I've never really worked to be successful in the career. I've just worked to enjoy it. But like, boy, is this going to be brilliant? Mm. But it wasn't. No. <laughs> I got, I got a, a cruciate injury about three, three, four games in. Um, but the time I came back, and back, there was a massive schism in the team, um, just a big, big break down the middle. And although we got to the cup final, uh, I managed to score the winner, two semi finals in a couple of months actually um, to get to Wembley twice, mm. winning the FA Cup final to beat three two after extra time by Liverpool. But that was the year of Hillsborough, and it kind of it was it was shame, shame because it, it should have been.
0: Yeah, I wanted, and, I wanted to. I wanted to. Just touch upon that because you scored the goal as you said there against Norwich City in the semi-final on the same day as Hillsborough. And you know, talk us through that range of emotions when you've come off the pitch, presumably elated that you made it to Wembley. And you scored the winning goal, and then you hear that.
1: I think as I described it, I floated off the pitch. Honestly, we, we only won when no. I scored the winning goal. I've paid back some of that one million pounds. That they buy, you know. So I'm really, really happy about it. So Austin Pearl's reference for anyone
3: who didn't get it. Though. Yeah, yeah, we get it. I know you two did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've kind of come out come out come off again. Of and as I'm walking off, there's uh, I think it was Mike Ingram waiting there to interview me for the radio for BBC and he said before we started, Look, I just need to tell you part um, there's people being killed at Hillsborough uh at, in the game. And you you kind of mind, it's, it's really hard to explain to people because you are in the, the most high, high that you may have ever had in football. You're absolutely, you're at Wembley. FA Cup final, You got I got them there. It's just mm. everything perfect Back from a cruciate injury that I should never go back from and go back from it in three months. And everything's high. And um, as I'm standing there, he started an interview. I remember being bumped. You know, who's that? It was like Trevor Steven. like It was like, he never bumps anybody. He was winding me up. It just everyone was buzzing, right? And uh, then he just said to me, before we go on the airport, the, the people died. And then he asked me the question. we straight on air. And I'm really happy. How do you feel after the game? And I went, well, it's great to score a goal. And I've never been, um, well, it's, it's going real high for my career. Uh, and then you can just feel it going, oh, my God. And you, yeah. we, at the time, we didn't know how many had died. Yeah, I told, he said many have died, and he just thought because it's Liverpool fans, and he said it was Liverpool fans. Um, and by the time I walked into the dressing, room, they'd just been told, and it was, you know, it was, it was a horrible moment. And what happened? We've written about again last book about all the things that um, happened in that period and just after it and before the cup final happened. Uh, it, it was really it was very it was traumatic now glasgow went through it in 71 wasn't it yeah and the ibrox disaster <laughs> yeah. those days you know it's not that it didn't go out of glasgow but you know it wasn't on color television pictures mm-hmm. and newspapers yeah. with the city for you know glasgow suffered scotland suffered for it rangers football club suffered for it um but this a few years later it was the world knew what was seen it and
3: it is yeah. the logic
1: in the world's brain it shouldn't be any more or any less than the drugs disaster but it, you know that's yeah. the, just the way it has gone because of yeah. the time it happened but what it, it crushed that it, it really did and a number of things happened i mean a lot of memories but the, the worst the hardest and and this is absolutely true when i was writing about this this i actually was tearing really was crying 'Cause we went to a lot of funerals, you know, and there was so yeah. many funerals that, you know, a lot of the players we were we had to go to three in a day sometimes. And it was young kids that died, you know, and you're standing there and i a young child myself at this point, mm-hmm. And you're going and they were saying you'll never walk alone at the end. And you could not you can not break down at that yeah. um, and it was the big thing was the dignity of the Scousers was beyond belief. And mm-hmm. they do get a lot of stuff thrown at them and you know it's no city's perfect but the dignified way that they behaved at that point in time was absolutely i was completely and utterly amazed by them amazed by them
2: it must it must have been hard to live in the middle of that misery and grief i mean it must have felt absolutely hollow inside just to be surrounded by it bombarded by the grief
1: well i didn't want to play football I didn't want to play in the cup final I, yeah. I, and it said it very openly. It, yeah, that final shouldn't go ahead, which again, it, you see, we get some things right in our lives and some things wrong. i got it wrong, but hopefully, I've got it wrong for the right reasons. Yeah, the game should have been played because it wasn't my call to make, not to do with me. Yeah. The call was the families of those who died, and they all said the same. They said, No, play the game in memory of because it was, of course, fortunately, it was Everton v Liverpool, yeah, you know? and it was. A celebration of the city and you know the, the poignancy was there and you know nobody in the world wanted the Blues to win that day. Everybody wanted Liverpool to win that day, but we weren't going to let them off. You know, we were gonna we were going to be honourable and be honest to the people gone and honest to ourselves and honest to every fan. So, you know, the the right thing was done we played. Um there's a picture which I almost used in the book in my last book but I didn't and it's so of me after I played a little kind of I like to think it Esther ball through to one of our players who clipped across to Stuart McCall. I think it was his first or his second. Stuart McCall scored um, to get us into injury time. And our fans come on the pitch, and there's a picture of me. Honestly, you, think, I'm close to thumping this guy. Why are you on the pitch? Mm-hmm. Those people have just been crushed to death in the semi final because they're wire up there. We've taken the wires down, and you've run on the pitch. I couldn't. I couldn't get the logic of what an idiot or what they were just getting carried away but you know Ernest me was human at that point but that was the the, the only point in time in that game where i was like furious the rest of the time just no no, okay get down play a game do the right thing but up until just a week or so before the the final i didn't think it should be played i didn't particularly want to play um was, was that a
0: feeling that was replicated among your teammates, Pat, and from what you could gather? Oh, that yeah. players
1: as well, or or well. Hey, you, you know footballers, they, they don't talk. <laughs> they don't they talk about feelings and things like that. They were, there was an uncertainty. <laughs> they would have, what they did say, and I will say this, the, the players were comfortable not to play it. They wouldn't have been a, no, we have to play this final. For so a medal at stake. <laughs> exactly. And, and I so... They wouldn't. There wasn't a. Well, I hope the, hope the finals not cancelled. It wasn't that. It was a. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll, we'll accept what the, the decisions are. It's not. A, in the end, I felt I. Sh- initially, I thought I had to ask when I was asked the question by journalists, etc. Uh, and I gave my honest answer. But my honest answer was the wrong answer. The right answer mm-hmm. was listen to the families and they made the decision. And there was a medal, which for me was a runner's up, and I got it and I put it in a bin it's cool. great after it came <laughs> to which yeah
0: are you joking
1: are, no you know, no I didn't want that run medal um not interested Mean nothing so yeah. what I did was a it in a event somebody spotted it and sent it back to me yeah <laughs> the right the good old is it um I'm kind of happy they did I don't know what if I, if I really rustled about I could probably find it somewhere find it. Yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. I was kind of it's not of something anything of great importance to me mm-hmm. you go know to win you know a medal it's silver's nice but it's the gold you want it right
0: absolutely so you um you know you you left everton Um i know that you spoke very fondly of colin harvey who was your manager and then that changed and howard kendall came in and um, don't think that way Particularly Absolutely. well, and it was time to leave. And yeah, actually, I think people forget that you spent probably about five years at Tranmere Rovers. Is that right? It was yeah. I played more times
1: for Scotland while I was at Tranmere Rovers than I did with all my other clubs put together.
3: Hmm. And like, Is
1: it's that? like it's it's completely. It's, it's it isn't it isn't it because I probably played some of my best football. It's probably yeah. the best part of my career when I was playing with Tranmere. Now there had been other teams, and I could have signed. I could have went back to the premier League. there had been opportunities to do that but in actual fact i was just really happy you know trying were some team we had i mean our forward line you know john Aldridge, what what a what a goal scorer probably yeah. the best goal scorer i ever played with. you know at any level yeah. um and you've you've got up front we brought tommy Coyne. tommy Coyne. we all do there's a guy called johnny Morrison in one wing me in the other way just creating all sorts of chances and we were Fabulous it was Almost Every player Our left back uh, Two left backs Went to the Premier League Sold to the Premier League One, one right back Tony Thomas Went to Everton Then Spurs Eventually Motherwell but he was gone by then um, A centre back Went to Misberg Who were Premier League A centre midfield Went to Man City And all the way through The team Every player Eventually just went Premier League Premier League oh. Premier League It was some team When we went there And for three years in a row we missed out in Premier League promotion by a whisker. Through the, We were in the playoffs, obviously. Uh, but for a tiny <coughs> week, it was honestly, it was an absolute joy there with a, this manager who was nuts. Um, and again, I've got this next book coming out in a, a week or so. And it's the, the book starts where the other one finished. Right. And this one basically, yeah, cause I Because what, what I didn't want to do was, you know, the first book was just spend loads of time with Chelsea Everton and give nothing to you. Tranmere mother and, and up. Yeah, like, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to diss the fans of those clubs. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to give you the same amount of time, the same amount of consideration because it meant as much to me. So the Tranmere time was honestly, it was utterly, utterly brilliant for that period of time. And the manager was nuts, and, it, and, that, and that really helped. Who so was the manager mad? at that time? A guy called Johnny King. And Johnny King, I could, I could tell you stories for a fortnight about <laughs> madness and the, and i've still that like, he's no longer with us but to this day i, I can't tell you if he meant it or not i right. have no idea if he meant to say the things he said and i, I won't give too many away but you know because I've, I've written about him for this next book and i'd like to sell a couple of copies but
3: selfish
1: <laughs> you know, it was but he's one of these guys that he, he always everything was in metaphors right and i've read a wee bit in my time so I. I can hopefully follow metaphors, no, <laughs> we're all over the place to start, one of his favourite ones was, great right lads, we're on a journey to the moon, what? <laughs> it's going to be difficult getting there and we're doing it, and he used JFK lines, like, we're doing it because it's the hard thing to do, but on the way there'll be, there'll be trouble, there could be rocks on this ocean, and." We've got <laughs> these big long things, and everyone else is kind of looking. at i going, what's going on? There was one particularly cracking crack one, which I won't tell you the full thing. But TC Tam Coin had just signed for us, and I'd give Tam, I'd gave Tam a warning before I said, "Tam, see, see what anything he says during this this uh, speech before again the team talk blanket right? <laughs> no, just blanket right, whatever." Tommy, you probably know Tommy. He's kind of a strong, world guy. Anyway, it starts about a minute, and a minute, Tom's going, oh, "What's he doing? Is, is he all right? Um. So the lovely stories, but this guy had this brilliant thing. This Johnny King, he could pick a player, mm-hmm. hell of a good talent, And he just, and he was a massive, always four 2 four, going attack.
3: Yeah. You know,
1: being brought up with this Celtic thing was as a kid of. Score an early goal and press on regardless kind of thing, you know. Just go for it, keep on attacking, and I was finally back working with somebody who who felt the way I felt. And honestly, the, the team, the players, the football, the fans around there—it was different class. And of course, it was so far under the radar, but not that far under the radar that Bryn, uh, Craig Brown, and Andy Roxburgh, Brown and Rox, <laughs> you can't help it, can you? Um, but. You kind of, it you just, you just, the joy of it was so good. And there were opportunities, you know, to move mm-hmm. from there back again mm-hmm. to top level and stuff. Nah, I'm really happy. I'm not it, happy.
2: It, it actually sounds, actually sounds part as if you've rediscovered at the tail end of your career what you had right at the beginning when you were just playing for, for the fun of it. The money wasn't important. The, you know, playing in, in front of the, you know, match of the day camera is not important. You were yeah. just enjoying playing football
1: yeah and it, it kind of none of that stuff was particularly important anyway but by the end of it bits of the joy of it can get knocked out of you it happens mm-hmm. in a job every, every anyone who's listening you, you'll you get this you know mm-hmm. you start out being a teacher and you love it you I know mean, that's probably what i'd have been had i not played football and then things get in the way you know, you know middle management you know hassles you get you know all sorts of problems um and be it writing, be it football, be it anything, you know, after a while the, the problems can come in and getting old has its own problems as well. Um, but there was, this, there were periods and that's why this next book's called Football and How to Survive It because I wanted to come out at the end, not better. Mm-hmm. How many players, and I'm, I'm looking at you too as I'm saying this, <laughs> how many players do you know finish and you, you look at them going, oh, there's bitterness there. There's a yeah. lot of bitterness and anger. I yeah. never wanted to have a smidgen of that. Sure. I wanted to come out thinking, "God, that was a great 1920 years. That was brilliant." Yeah.
2: In but here's the thing: you you didn't crave what other guys crave from football. You, yeah, you I really have to say. They, they, some of the guys that I've seen that are better is guys that you know they were cock of the walk one minute. They were the, you know the most famous. They, they never need to queue or put their name down for a restaurant. They just walk and the doors are open. They get everything. They love the fame. They love that everybody knows them when they're walking down the street. And then the career goes, and all of a sudden, they're just an ordinary guy. And that's what they struggle with. But if you never had that aim in the first place, then you're not going to have a problem surviving football. <laughs> you've, you've nailed it. <laughs> I wish I would
1: have you know, written that book. That's it. <laughs> I, mean, to, 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 I understood that. The weird thing is I was kind of much more mature when I was younger i can live my life backwards i can't do that when i was 16 or 17 i kind of got that that i could see the dangers i could see the, the madness of that i could see what i felt was a superficiality mm-hmm. and that's why you go, you're very deep you know no no i could just see a, a, a danger there and i'm not going to mm-hmm. go for that you know and you know it's yeah I, i'm sure if i talk to a psychologist see give us a whole bunch of other reasons why we should all be Dobby crap but um I, that's I, I got that but I, it's it's easy to say it's kind of hard to do and it mm-hmm. got it did get harder because you still want to really enjoy it but you know when if you know if say a manager comes in and it happened three times in a row in my career I happened the Chelsea it happened to Everton and it happened to Tranmere manager buys me everything's great I'm playing every week after three or four years, he gets sacked, and then you guy comes in. Suddenly, you're rubbish. Well, you're not rubbish. Just <laughs> the same player you were last week. But that's the problem, isn't it? That's the difficulty. Yeah. And you try that point. See, so trying not to be um, have any bitterness at that point. That's bad. That's hard. Mm-hmm. I want to love this. I want to enjoy this. Um, and that was where some of the difficulties were. You know, certainly at the end of my period at Tranmere, and you. But I just, one of the great things in Tranmere is there was such nice people there. And then there was, uh, see, I like nutters, right? I really, I kind of like, you know, that's why I kind of loved when I came back to Kilwarnock, you know, I like mad people because they're a bit unusual and strange characters and I like them. But we, when we signed, just as I lost my place in the team, the guy that took my place in the team at Tranmere was a cracker of a nutter, right? And, well, you'll know him, Ivano Benetti, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> really I'll, cross, I'll
2: pass that cross
1: right <laughs> and i promise you ivano and i were like that we were the yeah. best mates we just you just got each other immediately but he was an extreme character he was an unusual character he was but also clever guys well but you know don't cross him and that and again the joy of being able to eat. the the sat the, the bit if i had close to bitterness is because i Aldo, who took over as manager, he wouldn't play me with uh, alongside Ivano. Mm -hmm. And him and I in training just had we were completely unstoppable, we were were having a ball, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's just and it wasn't personal. And that's the thing, players always take it personally because it feels personal, it feels personal, doesn't it? When someone moves you for a job, you think it's personal, it's not, they're they're doing something else, They're, they're trying push their own position but also mm-hmm. want to be known if they're a manager they want to know be known for their own team it harms in every work of life it, yeah. it's not because they hate you it's because they want to promote them and their own
3: yeah absolutely aye, aye but you moved up
0: to to Kilmarnock and you know as i spoke to you a couple of weeks ago at that uh mavis's thing as we we're talking about you did make the point that throughout your football career you had very very few genuine mates in any of the dressing rooms, but that changed at look Like there was guys coming to your house and stuff like that you were saying, which never ever ever happened to any other football club. Why why did things click at look at the, the
1: kind of tail end of your career when you came back to Scotland? Well I suppose I need to figure out how much of that was my fault and how much of that was football's fault <laughs> as well. Um no yeah, but also I think the click thing was I was surrounded by a lot of Scottish people. Um now, to be fair, there's quite a lot of Scots down in London when I was going to Chelsea, but I just felt it won with them. It felt like coming home. And because it felt like coming home, a real comfort with the people that were there. And it was just a good bunch of people. You can't know Mark Mavis Riley and not like him. you know. And, and as a player, you know, I've, I've, I've seen one of the classically underrated players who've done a job for everyone, never, ever tired, Always did the right thing. An absolute pleasure to play alongside. But there was, you know, I talk, I talk. I like mad people. Well, Dylan Kerr played for us. I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to look too far. And Dylan's like still one of my best mates. Gary Holt was there as well. I got on brilliantly with Gary Holt. And it's a thing about football. From the outside, nobody really knows who all the mates are. But we were kind of a real bunch together. That you would hang out, and they they come came all the way to the borders here, which is you can get here in a couple of days, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and stayed, and they bring the partners and things like that. When Annabelle and I loved having people stay, but that had never really happened that much. Now and again, so though I had acquaintance and acquaintances and friends at other places, really good mates, you know the difference. Mm-hmm. You really know the difference, and uh, at certain. <coughs> I don't know how much of it was me, you know, because yeah. I had things in my mind when I was younger. Uh, but I do think that, that bunch at Kelly were a, a great bunch. And the manager was Bobby Williams. And I just, I just love Bobby. Yeah. Just, his yeah. part, cool. fantastic. So, was,
0: so see when you, you, you moved on from there to, to Motherwell. Talk us through, we're we'll coming to the end of the conversation anyway, as we're coming to the end of your, your kind of playing career, but talk us through your process, or thought process when you were offered the, the chief executive's job at motherwell and then obviously you know what happened to that club at the time that must have profoundly affected you know everybody at the club people lost their jobs and livelihoods the whole thing but yeah. what made you decide that chief executive was the way to go at the end of your playing career
1: i'll not give too much detail because that is a massive part of this next book that's coming <laughs> right. reality um, i said no john Bowers asked me and i said no he'd asked me to run a club before <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to buy and uh, I said no to that as well. But he bought Motherwell and he needed somebody to help him. And I said no initially, but something happened at, at on uh, that upset me. And because I was upset, um, that pushed me. And, and I went back to John and said to John, Yeah, I'll have, I'll, I'll have a go at this. Um, it was a complicated thing to think through because to leave something you're loving just playing football because that's what I'd always done,
3: yeah,
1: and loved it. And here I am, having a brilliant late summer to my career. Why would you walk? What is what would possess you to walk out? Of that? You know, and so in actual fact, it's that's complicated. And I couldn't do, I couldn't give it just do it justice here in two minutes. So yeah. something happened at Kamala, which you can read about, and that that drove me, uh, and I eventually went to which this next book. Um, one of your one of your colleagues from another newspaper said to me. Is there any Motherwell in this book? I went, half the book, mate. Exactly <laughs> half the book. Because the things that happened at motherwell I'm smiling now when I'm talking about it. You're talking about the end of it. I never really got asked at the time what happened. Right. Because the story moved on. It went somewhere else. And I thought, well, nobody might know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you did, I didn't you find much, out. Much. A couple of questions or a couple of wee articles, and Yeah, fair enough. And then I moved on and I thought, but honestly, you don't know the stories that are brilliant stories here. Mm-hmm. So it was in my mind that one day I'd go back to this and, and write what that four years was like, because it was mental. It was brilliant, right. mental. And there were some fabulous, fabulous highs. And I remember the first two years I was player and chief executive at the same time. And I know why nobody else has done that. Because it's, like, <laughs> it's, about, <you> can't. <laughs> it's just extraordinarily difficult. And when, the most, one of the most difficult things, lots of difficult things, was tiring and it's all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm in the dressing room, but I'm also your boss. But I'm Billy Davis's boss, but he's also my boss, right? Oh, that's, yeah. I, did, I, I got it. And, like, Billy, you can do whatever you like. You can drop me. Bloody well, did all the time. <laughs> <laughs> did. But, you know, I'd said to him, You're my boss in that dressing room. I won't say a word. I'm the only player who can't go and, knocking your, your door because I've chosen you and I trust your judgment. So there's all these weird things going on, but it's the stuff that to be honest, the relationships with the press were amazing at the time because they were extreme and see being on the other side of it. And saying, yeah, uh, trying really not to be an Alistair Campbell type. <laughs> trying to be straight as possible as all you can all the time. I thought, no, I'm just going to give you it all one day. And yeah. So I have, <laughs> what, it, what it felt like in the inside, yeah. and, and some of the things are really kind of. Oh no no surely that didn't
0: happen.
3: <laughs> <Bill is> it? <laughs> it sounds
0: like oh. I must be. You've got you know you you've got so many different strands to your post football career, but were you never tempted after? <clears throat> pardon me after after Motherwell and after being a chief executive of a club, were you never ever tempted to. Try and transfer that to another football club, or you
1: know, no, again, the reasons why not are in this book. <laughs> but the question is usually asked is, Why didn't you do management? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, John Burrell had said to me when I came to my mother, Well, why don't you be the manager? I said, Well, I'd be rubbish. I knew what I could and couldn't do, or was good or good. And other people, to so me, see other people that are good at a very specific area. There's, there's a lot of people who think they're hell of a good at everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew where my limitations were on certain things. And, and Why would you think,
0: not have been a good manager?
1: I I couldn't have really given the 24-7. I didn't have that in me. Um, although I did it as a chief exec player. Um, yeah. and, and, but I couldn't have said to you, you need to give up so much of your life.
2: Mm-hmm. I liked
1: playing football. I loved playing football. I don't love football that much. I'll give up everything else. Including family, including including seeing the kids growing up, and spending time around them, I'm afraid it's just not that important to me.
2: Yeah, you need to be, to be prepared to be completely consumed by it to be a, to be a top manager.
1: You're absolutely right, and I, I I think it's almost offensive to take over a football club and do it half-hearted. I nearly, yeah, I nearly said half something else. You know what I mean? You can't be half-hearted about it. You have to kind of do it all in or not. And I knew that I wasn't like that. Also, I've kind of a, there is a bit of my personality that I couldn't cope with that concept of hey, I'm sacking you
2: because I know that's
1: going to do you and your kids and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have that in me, and I've mm-hmm. never. Had that. And okay, I had to do that sometimes as chief exec, but really quite rarely. And every time it it, it, it absolutely it killed me to do mm-hmm. it. It Absolutely killed me every single time. I was okay if I fight for people in their cause, but dumb people. Even if yeah. it, was badly, it was a I I found it an incredibly painful thing. So I wasn't, I'm not the right person. I never was the right personality for it. The other question, which David, which is a good question, uh, the transferable skills to do something else in football. Um, now, I had been a chief exec. I had been the chairman of something much bigger in the union in England. Um, so I had all the skills to do that job at other clubs. Um, and I were one or two approaches over the years. But I didn't want it. I just didn't want it. And to be fair, guys, and anyone listening, um, see the job I did fall in after that. Wasn't it bad? Not bad, is it? Talking rubbish about football. (laughs) 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 I'm not
3: in the world.
2: Kept a roof over our heads for long enough, Pat.
1: Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, see after playing football, which is the best job, and it is the best gig that is right. After playing that, this one, and people say, why didn't you do that? Well, you would do that if you wanted to go up the greasy pole, make loads and loads of money, you know, get power. And I'm going, yeah, like, yeah. They have any interest to in me whatsoever? Yeah. Not at all. You just got to go and enjoy life. So I was very fortunate. No complaints at all because I fell into, I mean, this week, like, right, just just to, to nail it, like I'm getting on a bit. I'm not a kid anymore, right? But this week, so the other week I was I was at Milan versus Inter. Mm-hmm. Covered that. I nipped over to the to Amsterdam to see the to the Reichs Museum to see the Vermeer exhibition. On the way, and <laughs> <Ended> I'm <laughs> doing Chelsea this weekend. I was DJing Chelsea, Man City. Then it was Forest the week before <laughs> that. It was Man United. There was. I'm thinking, come on, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and I've done it for years and years. And it's a, and I'm, I'm I take it seriously, and I do study it massively, and it's. And the nice thing is, I've kind of done it, again, to get back to your point, Keith, which I think was a great one, tiny bit under the radar, Mm -hmm. never right in front, never right in your face all the time. You know, maybe most so those, a wee period when I was doing BBC Scotland TV, Mm -hmm. a short period doing that where I was kind of in people's faces, maybe a bit more, a bit too much for my comfort, because I was getting recognised a wee bit too much in Scotland. But even then I was I had an Irish program that I was doing and I, I was working for an Irish company. I was working down south for Chelsea. I was uh, for their TV station. I was working for Radio 5 Live. I've got a face for radio, which is great. And I was writing various things as well. And that's the thing I tried to pull off over the years. Don't be too in people's faces they'll get fed up with you. And I'll get fed up with me. So mm-hmm. it's nice, I've got to this stage now where I've been done it for a lot of years and. People say, "Would you like to be a chief executive of another club?" Why? No. Just be
0: chief executive of Pat Nevin Enterprises. That's good enough, isn't it?
1: No, it's Annabelle Nevin. I'm
3: afraid. Complete <laughs> <Anna. laughs> <laughs> some that
0: mistake. <laughs> <laughs> on that cheery note, on that cheery note, I think we'll leave you with a smile on your face. You've left us with a smile on our face. Pat, it's been a brilliant hour and twenty minutes. So thanks for that, thank Pat. You, thank you very much for your time, and uh, hopefully we will. Cross paths soon. Thank you for that. I look forward to it. Cheers, Thank mate. A lot. Cheers, mate.